punch really, really hard, and they execute the system, and that's what it's all about. Yes, sir. Trust. He's pretty big trust. Big trust. Big trust. Hey, yes, sir. Right on cue. Hey, right on cue. Hey, The Jumbo Set is back. It is Wednesday, my new, my dudes. Not my nudes. My name is Jake Luke. I'm joined on my screen by Septimieber Spenny. How's it going? Going well. Would love to start this out in remembrance of Brooks Robinson, who tragically passed away. Maybe not necessarily tragically, but unfortunately might be a better word to use. Unfortunately passed away today. Uh, very sad news. Mr. Oriole the real first superstar that the city of Baltimore had in Baltimore, I would say. He was second. before Cal. Johnny U, second. Oh, yeah, you're right. Pardon me. First Oriole. Good, yeah. cr- good correction there. So really the first Oriole superstar alongside Johnny uh, sets the stage for guys like Jim Palmer, Cal Ripken. And when you go, and Eric reposted a video of – uh, I think it was from 2019, if I'm not mistaken. One of Brooks's birthdays where uh, I think Ryan Wagner hosted it, and it was just a slew of Orioles and Larry Hogan and notable Maryland folk, Justin Tucker, just wishing him a happy birthday. And all of them, the first thing they wanted to mention was how nice and special of a person he was and how he treated everyone with so much kindness and dignity and respect. So a wonderful person, someone who's obviously entrenched into the soul of Baltimore and We'll miss Brooks. Rest in peace to Brooks. It's it's super sad. Got a little tear going in my eyes earlier when I watched that that happy birthday video. So we would be remiss. The the flagship boys, if you want more on that, are gonna record an episode tonight too that we'll release just like the jumbo set will on Wednesday. So if you're listening now, that one is also up, and you guys can go get a much deeper dive. I mean, Eric and Brian, I think you know we love the Orioles. We've been lifelong Orioles fans. Those guys are a little more sick in the head about the Orioles than we are. I might actually try to throw some stuff together too, because it's he's like one of those guys for sure that uh, you just hear about in this town. And um, you mentioned it, really, he was kind of one of those first guys. I think Johnny really was the first, but then Brooks, you know, he came in in kind of the middle of the '60s. They, uh, I was reading up a little bit um, in the last couple of hours, and it's like they found him in the middle of Arkansas where he grew up and you know, they, they had gotten some tip from a scout and they went out there and scouted him. And I think it was the, the Yankees and some Cincinnati franchise that doesn't exist anymore. Maybe they turned into the reds, but it was a bidding war and they got him for a $4,000 contract and you get, you know, a decade plus of uh, just amazing play out of him two world series titles. It's uh awesome. All, all that he did, you know, on the diamond and uh, at the hot, at the hot corner there. But yeah, it's just, your legacy really what keeps you alive in the eyes of people and what kind of passes you down from generation to generation is how you treat people. And, uh, you know, from what I hear, it's kind of reminds me a lot of, uh, Arnold Palmer who, you know, he built the brand and everything and he was a great player, but he was just super nice to literally everyone he ever met fans and everything. And the same goes for Brooks. He, you just hear all these stories about nice guy would give everyone at least like five minutes, you know, kind of had that kind of magnetism, that tractor beam quality to him. And uh, you just you never hear a bad word about the guy. Just a true 100% approval rating type of person, which uh, you do not see uh, really in the world at all. So rest in peace. No, you don't. And you nailed it. I think a, a lot of what you can say about Brooks Robinson is our demographic, obviously, is people that are around our age that grew up in this area are likely an Orioles fan, but maybe not. And 
Brooks Robinson had a, an event. I think Ken Singleton was eulogizing on 105.7 from what I saw. And said, at one point, the MC asked everyone named Brooks in the crowd to stand up, and 30 people stood up because everybody wanted to name their son Brooks after Brooks Robinson. That's what kind of person he was in addition to what type of player he was. It's funny, yeah. I was at uh, I was at Salisbury with his grandson, uh, and I, I didn't know him super well. But we were actually we were supposed to like room together at one point, I think. And um, for whatever reason, that just kind of fell through. I think we wound up both doing different things. But um, yeah, uh, just one of those like weird sliding doors moments where like if I had you know had that happen, maybe I would have got to meet Brooks. Which I really you know looking back on it, it's a day like today where you think, man, I, I never got to meet the guy. It's unfortunate, but um, for everyone who did, they seem to say that it was a uh, well worth the uh, well worth the experience. So. Man, I guess guess his grandson dodged a bullet there. Oh, stop. Yeah, you know, I was, I was a great roommate. <laughs> of course. You're very tidy. You're very neat. You're polite. Of yeah. course. He would have he would have been so lucky to have you. So yeah, with that, like you said, we said, rest in peace, Brooks. Head on over to the flagship pod. We'll be we'll be talking about that a good bit. And so will the city of Baltimore with this special Orioles run that's been happening this year as they fight to win the AL, push through the playoffs, everything like that. So with that in mind, I guess we can kind of flip on over, but obviously the Ravens lose. I was not on the reaction episode. You and Brian covered it, did a great job there. Um, you guys got into some some thickets there with what's going on and just a tough game to digest. A, a lot of strange circumstances, felt a lot like a lot of games that we saw last year and a lot of frustration from the Ravens fan base. So it was a tough loss, a game that the Ravens had I want to say five opportunities to put away, especially all really once that safety ensued. And from there, just a whole shit show started. It was a game against a team when we did the preview episode last week. We said maybe this Colts team is actually pretty well coached. Maybe Shane Steichen and D'Amico Ryans are good coaches and the AFC South might not be bad anymore if these are young coaches that have these guys playing right. Oh, look, the Texans go and demolish the Jaguars and the Colts go steal a win from the jaws of defeat. Uh, it was really cool seeing the Colts run that field goal gambit, which can make the Ravens have to burn a timeout. Like the, the risk reward there of the Colts doing that is awesome for them. And uh, the Ravens kind of blundered that game late. See Isaiah likely drop a pass. See the Ravens fumble the ball a few times, see all of these things. So unfortunate loss in a, you know, crappy, crappy day, crappy Sunday, one o'clock cloudy. It's been raining. You know, is it going to be windy? The crowd was into it. I would say at the stadium, but not really a, it, it, it was just a we, it was weird. It wasn't, you know, a packed house. It wasn't empty, but it wasn't a packed house. And the vibe was, God damn it, why does it keep raining a little bit? Uh, I think that's a lot of people's sentiment. And you go drop a team, drop a game to a team that you wish you would have beat. But at the same time, like, got to give some credit to the Colts. Julius Brents in his first game hawks down Kenyon Drake early in that game, turns the ball over. Then Samson Ebukam, who had a day when we get into it a little bit, I'll probably talk about him a good bit, but. Ebicom goes and forces a fumble on the ensuing possession. I think Lamar was able to jump on it, and that ended the Ravens' possession again. The Colts have the ball again. So from there, just really a strong performance by the Colts' defense in many ways, in addition to some sloppiness from the Ravens' offense. But, um, hey, missing a lot of starters, and a lot of guys are playing that maybe didn't have a lot of reps in the summer. You didn't play anybody in the preseason. You feel good about what you did in Cincy, and then you have a nice reality check after Jake you talked about in the preview, maybe a little bit of an emotional letdown as a possibility. And I think that it was a emotional letdown by the coaching staff, including Johnny Harbaugh, who we both love as much as anybody else really does. And I would say that there were instances that John Harbaugh alone 
let this one slip through his fingertips. I think he would say that too. I think he has said several times, this is always coach speak, put it on my shoulders, but he did say, you can blame me for this one. Uh, so when you're talking about trying to maybe win a division or maybe get a home playoff game instead of an away playoff game or maybe get a bye, that's a game where your head football coach, John Harbaugh, the, the veteran, one of the sons of Baltimore at this point, fudged up and let it kind of fall through his fingertips. So we'll get into it a little deeper, but I guess that was just kind of my, my thoughts on that game from the 30,000-foot overview. Yeah, and that's really what frustrates me about it. Uh, and I, I got into this plenty. I was pretty, I think, pretty clear-headed and sober on the Sunday Night Podcast, and it was just like, it's on, it is on John, 100%. John's my guy, but like, it, and I, you mentioned the emotional letdown. Like, it just feels like this happens at least once a year. And in recent years, this happened more than once a year, I feel like. And it's just tough because you start out in week one and you get that kind of win in not a super convincing way, but you know, you win by two scores. It's very nice. And you go in there, you get that big emotional win. We were all buzzing, riding high, watched it, you know, together with Brian and we, we all had an amazing time. And it's like, man, is this year going to be different? And I had picked them to start two and three. Right. And I was like, well, if they win this thing and they get the three and oh, and then, you know, a couple tough divisional games in the London game Titans, I get that that's very tough, but if you get to 3-0, and you're setting yourself up really well. And by set yourself up really well, it's to go and be among the AFC's elite for the first time in four years. And it just like it just felt like they were stepping on their own tail the last couple of years, and they just, for whatever reason, and I know Lamar was hurt the last two years, so that's certainly part of it, but it just feels like they, even with Lamar in the lineup, would have games like this where you just don't take care of your business and you get yourself... You, you get yourself in a lot of trouble when it comes to the final picture as far as seeding goes, and you're hoping for the third seed at best. And that's just not going to cut it for a team that needs to have some playoff success. You've got to set yourself up as best as possible, and you're just not getting off on the right foot here by doing this kind of thing. And like I, I made this comparison on the Sunday Night Pod where it feels like the Ravens sometimes, like they feel like Rain Man. Like they can do these like amazing calculations and like a beautiful mind and they're doing all this amazing things. And that's like their big wins like that against in Cincinnati, but then they can't tie their shoes and they can't brush their teeth and they can't do normal hygiene and they can't like take care of the, just the regular business, the small little things that you stack up a bunch of them and they make you good. And then when you're consistently good, you become great or you rank among the, the, uh, the league or the, uh, the conference, at least the, the greats in the conference and you get yourself a one seed or a two seed. But it's just you have these letdowns, you have games like this, and I don't know. I just thought for a minute there that maybe this year would be different, but I walked out of that game not super convinced. It just feels like, and I, I still fully expect them to win at least 10 games, but it just feels like that's kind of 10, 11, maybe 12 if they're lucky is where they're going to wind up. The Chiefs are going to be better. The Bills are maybe going to be better. Who knows what's going to happen with the Bengals after they get that win? Will they get hot? Not super convinced, but it's possible. The Dolphins. And yeah, the Dolphins certainly. But and, and it also felt like with what happened with the Bengals in that game, and then, you know, they didn't like like I said, they didn't look great last night. That felt like an opportunity to go out there and say, hey, quarterback issues in, in Cleveland, Pittsburgh, kind of a growing team. We'll see what happens with them. But Cincinnati, maybe a down year. You had a great, great opportunity to go and kind of supplant them a little bit and like be one of those, uh one of those not just good teams, but one of those feared teams within the AFC. And I'm just I can't say that I'm seeing it right now. I know there's a lot of injury issues and this and that, but that's why you have a coach. I mean, but that's part that's part of it, right? Why it why are you not thinking that? that is why? And Colin Coward, shout out Bobby Tross at our boy, he 
gotten some whole thing, you know, sharing, hey, Colin Coward's prediction of the Ravens. He said, I think they're going to miss the playoffs because they're hurt every year. And everybody gets up in arms. Well, they're not hurt. Well, they have been. So that's kind of an innocent until proven guilty where it's like, I don't trust them to stay healthy. But that's where and, I want this coaching staff to raise the floor. You got to raise the floor if you're a coaching staff like this because you are goddamn good enough. If you're John Harbaugh, you're good enough. If you're Mike McDonald, you've convinced me that you're good enough. Todd Munkin, what he did last week, he painted a fucking Mozart piece. You are good enough, I think, to raise the floor enough to make the extra one, two, three plays that are needed. And you had five fucking opportunities to your point to go and do what you need to do to close that thing out. And you didn't get it done. And it's just frustrating. And I know the excuses those, are there. Some of those things, though, at the same time, it's like Isaiah Likely has a ball carom off of his chest. Sure. Pretty much puts the game away. So it, it was just, you're, you're, you're spot on, but it's just, oh, just, oh. No, I know. And I'm trying, and I don't want to be too emotional about it because I've had games like that with the Dolphins game last year. I got on and I was super fired up. But like, at a certain point, like we just, we kind of know what the issues are at times. And I, I think we very clearly know what happened in this game and it was a failure in coaching. And I just think that's unfortunate because this coaching staff is good enough to overcome these issues, at least when you're in the position to do so like they were five times and they didn't. So that's, that's my, that's my soliloquy. I don't have to belabor the point. I think I'm making a lot of the same points. No, you, you said you don't, like, you get emotional. I think people want to hear that. The emotion's fun. We don't yeah. want to just sound like this for the entire podcast. So feel free to, to do that. And you make great points. Um, it's just, Again, it's it's the the same. It's the same. And Munkin's offense, Roman, whatever. I'll get into that a little bit. Whatever. You, and the injury stuff too. I mean, like Steve Saunders is that's gone what now. I, that's so what I'm saying. The injuries and some weird closing situations. How do you close? How do you finish? How do you end it? How do you stick the dagger in the heart of the Jacksonville Jaguars in a game where you had a two score lead in the fourth quarter? Yeah, and like Steve Saunders is gone now. So like you can't point to that. Like so, what's going on with the injuries? We don't know. Maybe it's just shit luck, and maybe that just happens. Like I and it's. And part of, I think part of it too, hey, maybe one or two of those guys could have played this week, wrist re-injury, 10% more if they oh, would have I, played. Oh, I, I think they could have, and I think that's kind of another failure here of this uh, this coaching staff, a little bit of hubris. I think we saw that with uh, with the with the Chiefs in week one when they didn't play Kelsey, and that kind of, that kind of when they lost that game, that raised a little bit of an alarm bell for me when the injury started to pile up here, and I was like, well, some cupcakes on this, uh, this opening schedule, we'll see what happens, and then boom, what do you get? A loss to the, the NFL. The, you, if it's the NFL. There are no cupcakes. The Dallas Cowboys get whooped by Josh Dobbs in the Arizona car. Whooped the pew, Cowboys. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> Jonathan Gannon just firing his laser into uh, good old Mike McCarthy there. So that's exactly the point. It's the NFL. That stuff happens, let alone, you know, a Zay Flowers missed defensive pass interference that I think. It's just, it's just fun. Like it's funny to look back on to me. It's funny. That's what it takes for the Ravens. I, I think I texted you guys. We read it on here, but it was like, all right, Matt. I kept saying Matt Gay made three fifty-yard field goals. Matt Gay made four fifty-yard field goals. Four, four in in. And hey, it it wasn't raining really. The it ground was the ground was wet. wet. It's not easy to the plant your foot. Wet. The like, ground was wet. Yeah, like it's not easy to plant your feet in that that kind of conditions. And four definitely. Fucking, like, there, there there was no wind. The ground was wet. Whatever, but still, uh, it was some sort of NFL record. I don't have it in front of me. Matt Gay bangs four field goals. The Ravens only have one penalty in that game. I think it was a five-yard false start on Morgan Moses in a completely meaningless point of the game. Uh, Lamar Jackson tears the Colts up on the ground, looked like his old self in many ways when he was a little bit more spry, 23, 22-year-old, whatever. And you safety the Colts with just over two minutes left 
to make the game a three-point lead, the Colts have one timeout, and you end up losing that game with a three-point lead after safetying them. Um, the the overtime letter, the missed the missed penalty on Zay Flowers. There was a couple missed penalties in this game. I think the refs were a little laissez-faire, and hey, that's what we often root for as fans, for the refs to be laissez-faire until it scorns your team or your bet or your fantasy. I didn't have as much a problem with the missed P.I. Like I feel like we've seen that happen before, and I feel like we've seen them kind of keep the keep the flag in their pocket there, and I am very much, like you said, like keep it in your pocket at the end of the game. The missed you, face- you, love the, you love the subjectivity of referees and those kinds of things happening in general in every sport. I do. I, I'm a big fan of the human element. I just think that it's very chaotic and it's fun. It does hurt to get burned by it, but let me tell you, we've been on the right side of it too a couple times. Uh, our our close personal friend Jimmy Smith being a big t- big personal example of that that we can look at uh, at the end of a certain Super Bowl. But yeah, it just like it, you know, I, I was made, I was okay with them kind of holstering that one. The face mask was tough. A couple other really really bad ones uh, too. So you you could certainly say a ref job, but you know, it, it's just tough when, like I said, you shoot yourself in the foot so many times. You don't even have a foot anymore. You can't really point the finger at too many other people. It happens. It's just going to happen. That's just the way it is. But I guess for for us ripping through segments, just some general notes there. Some things will never involved. change. Little Hornsby there. Love love Hornsby. They won't change. But that can get us into our mega culpa on this jumbo set podcast. If you're listening right now, would love to say, hey, go throw us five stars. Hey, go subscribe to the Exit 52 YouTube channel. I think the number one way that you can support our content today, support Jake Spencer as well as Eric, Brian, and Taylor, is to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If it's convenient for you, we would love if you would listen to the podcast on YouTube as we try to grow it instead of on Apple or Spotify or wherever else. We do, but do, do them all. Give us the downloads. Give us the listens. Give us the sure. watches. Just do it all. Sure. You, you can't hurt us by, by downloading it in multiple places, anything like that, whatever. But if we have our preference and it is of no difference to you, we would love for you to listen and check out YouTube as we're trying to grow it. With that, we can get into our first segment. We're going to be a little bit more regimented into these. Our first segment every week is going to be our mega culpa. Bum, bum, bum. Let's go back and talk about maybe some things that we thought that didn't end up happening or maybe some things that uh, we would like a second chance at or anything of the sort. The one thing that sticks out to me that I was wrong about thinking about this game and in the last couple of days, I guess, or, or last week or so, is that I just genuinely, Zach Moss, not a guy that I disrespect in any way, but Zach Moss had himself a day. The Colts were able to very much get some push. They were able to go convert in some short yarded situations on the ground. They were able to generate a couple explosive runs. Um, John Harbaugh said, you know, hey, we had a great day except for four runs. Yeah. And then the John Harbaugh detractors are like, well, of course, if you take away Derrick Henry's 99 yard touchdown, then he only. I get it. But Colts did a nice job. I thought the Colts would not even be able to manufacture anything. Then suddenly, you know, Robinson and Moon are playing the lion's share out there. And, and it's not that they even had a poor performance, it's that the Colts. We're able to attack the perimeter a little tiny bit in the run game. They were able to move the ball enough on the ground more than I thought they would be able to. Uh, it wasn't that they were, you know, killing you. They were just able to move the ball comfortably enough to give themselves a chance on the ground, I'd say. So that was the one thing that I thought the Ravens would really just jokingly stuff would be the the crowd, the Colts run game. Um, they didn't. And Zach Moss goes and mosses Patrick Queen a little bit. Queen on that one says that he thinks he started to look back for the ball too soon instead of staying engaged, which allowed Zach Moss to not push off in the sense of offensive pass interference, but extend and create separation, which is exactly what he did. So Zach Moss had a great game in this one. Uh, I didn't see that coming. 
So I think that's my, my mea culpa there. The Colts were able to run the ball. I did not think they would be able to at all. I thought it would be one or the other. I thought that they would either key on the run or they would key on the pass, and like one would have to go this certain way. But they ran it okay. To your point, they had the four big runs. It wasn't a whole lot really going like the other way, the the other way there. But I don't know. Like Moss, to your point, the those four big runs they were huge for them. And then the catch over Queen, I feel like that was really a part of what proved to be the difference, and that kind of set the tone for for Mingshu and really helped him settle in. But yeah, I mean, like overall, like mine is like I said, it, it was either going to be one or the other. But they they had success doing both. They ran it pretty well, and then once they got into a rhythm with passing, and I think Mingshu completed like ten in a row on one of their touchdown drives. That just really is when the, the game started to break open. They were sustaining drives. They were tiring the Ravens defense out. I think the Ravens offense in kind was getting frustrated on the sidelines a little bit because they just weren't seeing the ball for long stretches of the game, similar to how they had done to their defense on the opening drive themselves. When they had another tone-setting opening drive, they go out there, they run the ball really well, they throw it a couple times to different receivers, spread it around. Lamar Jackson runs it in for that touchdown. But yeah, Overall, I thought the defense had a solid day. I mean, Kyle Hamilton looked amazing. Clowney looked really good again. Roquan and Queen were, you know, I thought overall on balance, they had good performances, but there was just long sustained stretches of not being able to stop the pass with uh, Mingshu just kind of doing those easy little bing, boom, bing, Francesa, you know, here, there, here, there. And then uh, the, the run, the run game as well there with Moss. Uh, just not a consistently good enough day from the defense. And I, I don't know, it felt a little schizophrenic at times. They couldn't really key in on one thing or the other. And I think it cost them. Yeah. And I think the Colts did a good job mixing things up and, and were able to scheme up some of those plays while also being really overwhelmed by the Ravens pressure looks too. And Gardner Minshew, we talked about him. He's a tough dude. He's going to stick in there. He'll take shots. He'll, he'll do whatever it takes. One of the plays of the game, I, I did a breakdown. If you're interested in watching people, i guests just really don't care after losses for film content i make one after a win we get a bunch of views i'm like great youtube's coming along which i then told you i loss, told you i told you anecdotally like yeah that's exactly how it is with me like i i yeah, that's what you to, say. you're like i don't care after a loss i don't want to talk about it i don't want to look at it i don't want to feel upset or angry i'm like yeah what's what's in the the golf podcast like rotation this week what's what did what they watch on the rewatchables like i'm gonna check that out this week like I'm, fair I'm fair enough absolutely fair enough but so i ended up taking a look at all three of kyle hamilton's sacks Check that out. Exit 52, Spenny Spotlight YouTube channel. Exit 52, go check out Spenny Spotlight. It was really cool. It was really fun. Mike McDonald, we've talked about it, playing Madden, doing all kinds of fun stuff. He's bringing pressure. He's there. He's here. He's there. He's every fucking where. Mike B. Mack, Mikey Mack. Has Kyle Hamilton rush off the same side three times? Hamilton did do a great job disguising it. Basically, it was what we talked about, overloading pressure. Michael Pierce and Justin Matabike. On two of those plays, Michael Pierce was in coverage. And it was, hey, we're going to blitz off this side. We're overloading pressure on one side. Then the DTs engaged the linemen, dropped off into coverage. It forced Minshew to hold the ball because his immediate hot reads were taken away. And they overloaded the other side where they had more rushers than there were blockers. Kyle Hamilton twice able to go just absolutely rocket Gardner Minshew. And on one of them was a little bit... The Hamilton was able to beat a back. The back was late to scan an ID. Hamilton was able to rip through, go force that fumble. Uh, but what a play by Quentin Nelson. I'll say Jeremiah Moon tries to do the scoop, misses the scoop a little bit. Quentin Nelson comes in a plus 100 out of 100. Huffert, oh my gosh, effort hustle, aka Huffert, as I just tried to say. Wow, a plus effort 
to go punch the ball away from Brandon Stevens, Gardner Minshew, Michael Pittman come flying in, make sure that that's not a fumble recovery, save themselves a ton of field position in a game where field position was really making a huge difference. So um, those are a couple of things that stood out to me. I'll just kind of ramble through, I guess, in my quote-unquote notebook. First thing I wrote down was back-to-back scripted opening drive touchdowns last week in Cincy, this week in Indianapolis from the offense. Lamar scores with beautiful patience to set up blocks on a bash, which we saw a ton with Greg Roman. Run, back away, quarterback counterplay, and punches it in. Really did a nice job setting up leverage for Mustafer and then just snaking into the end zone. Kenyon Drake's fumble, which was really the giant momentum shift. If you can't see momentum or don't want to quantify it or want to pretend it's not there, bullshit. But on that play... Kenyon Drake runs a Texas route, and it was actually a sneaky little hybrid screen. The ball was always going to go to Drake. They were getting a lot of really void holes there. And Kevin Zeitler goes and pops out like a screen kind of, just released upfield immediately as Lamar gets the ball to Drake. Drake makes a couple guys miss. So that was a really cool play. But then rookie Julius Brent just hawks the ball out from behind, made a play, get the ball, and uh, was, was difficult after that. Samson Ebicom of the Colts blew up at least five plays by my count in various ways, has a strip sack. He diagnosed a screen to Zay Flowers I had written down. It was a fake pitch to Drake, I believe, and then it came back to a tunnel screen on the other side. Ebicom was the only man there that could have prevented that from being a touchdown, and guess what he did? Stayed home, did his job, tripped up Zay Flowers, and then that allowed the defense to go rally. In the third quarter, I started thinking, My I wrote down, why is Pat Ricard not in? Every time he's been in so far, they've played well. Ricard was on the field for 17 rushing plays, two pass plays, and didn't stay into block fully on either of the two pass plays he released ultimately. So he did chip at least, so that comes with a grain of salt. In the third quarter, the Ravens brought Pat Ricard in for most of a drive. Guess what? They got clean pockets, they ran the football effectively, and then they scored a touchdown. Then he didn't play the rest of the game. We love Pat Ricard, but even if we didn't like him, if he was a jerk to us and mean to us and was never on our podcast before, put Pat Ricard on the football field. Good things tend to happen. Final kind of note I had really, uh, Munkin has ran so many quarterback draws, I was astounded. It felt like you know during the game, you're like, oh, wow, he's getting some quarterback draws. No, they were really running quarterback draws. I think at least four of them. Some of them were RPOs, but really just it's like a fake RPO. The receivers are just running to the perimeter to create more space. Um, so he dialed those in, scores a touchdown. The second touchdown offensively was on one of those. Uh, saw a ton of those. We also saw just draw in general. It felt like the Colts leave the A gap uncovered. They are kind of have B gap and C or D gaps occupied. Munkin's old school answer to pressure from that was to run draw as opposed to some other new age stuff. It was, oh, I'm going to run Gus Edwards on a draw. I'm going to run Melvin Gordon on a draw. I'm going to run a quarterback draw. So I thought that was an interesting response. It's a simple one, and it it honestly did work. Um, So I'll give some credit there. The kind of final thing I had was that the Ravens, and I saw a a visualization, data visualization, the Ravens are one of the teams that is pushing tempo the highest above expectation. In other, other words, as opposed to average, the Ravens are running plays faster. There was a lot of discourse, Todd Munkin, Greg Roman, you know, the offense similarities, Ryan Clark saying, you know, it's the same thing and the changes he makes are messed up. Whatever. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. He uh, he didn't seem to have that take last week, literally last week, one week from t- like, what are we doing, Ryan? That's that's and again, you know, last week I kind of got into Brett Coleman a little bit for some generalist things he was saying that just didn't make sense to me. 
It's just I don't think that – I think that's why people don't really like to watch national football coverage as much, especially like during the day, during the week. It's like we know you didn't watch all of that game. You weren't really dialed in. But, you know, pregame stuff, I think people like that kind of content. So um, it just – can't they just like have each of the four guys on a show dial into like four teams for the year? I, I don't know. Just just something. Um, so I thought that was ridiculous. But what I wrote down was that the tempo is there. The continuity isn't there to run tempo. To run tempo, you can't have quick fuck-ups. If you have quick fuck-ups when you're going fast, you have massively bad, blown assignments and execution, and suddenly Sam Mustafer snapping the ball before Lamar's ready, things like that. So I like the tempo a lot. I think that it was needed because there are starters there. It's not like their whole offense is out. Most of their offense is there. Zeitler, Moses, uh, John Simpson, Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, Isaiah likely plays a lot. Rashad Bateman plays a lot. Zay Flowers, all those guys. They needed those reps going fast. They need to get Ronnie Stanley and Tyler Linderbaum back. And if they can get any modicum of continuity for maybe one or two weeks, like having nine of your 14 main guys offensively, I think we'll see this tempo really start to hurt teams. So um, I, I'm encouraged by what I saw from the tempo. Uh, and then my final, final note actually was that the offensive line was overwhelmed. I charted it. I forgot about this one. In the fourth quarter in overtime, the Ravens had 17 true pass plays. In other words, it wasn't a screen. It wasn't an RPO. Um, it was a true pass set. They ran five-man protection, so no back or tight end helping their five-man offensive line 11 times. I think the Colts had eight pressures on those 11 five-man protections. You can't do that to a backup offensive line when you're getting your ass kicked. Bring someone in to chip. Bring two guys into chip. Run three-man route concepts where guys leak into the flat and occupy some space. Mark Andrews stays in. It was a seven-man protection with Mark Andrews on one of them. 19-yard gain to Nelson Aguilar. Lamar is able to push the ball downfield to Duvernay. It was a bad throw, but had a clean pocket. Todd Munkin, you need to help your offensive line out. They're not that good, and you have backups in. You can't keep letting them get absolutely fried. So those are kind of all my notes as I went through offensively. Defensively, I could get into it. I'm just not going to. There's, it's they, they played well. They played well defensively. Got beat a couple times, whatever. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot there. But offensively, like yeah, to your point, I liked some of the stuff that I saw. I love the quarterback movement. I think people were kind of the uh, reports of the you know Lamar Jackson design run deaths, I think, were greatly exaggerated. Uh, it was just kind of based upon what they were getting uh, against the Bengals. And I think we even called it going into that game. Just take what they give you. They're probably just going to kind of sit back and do the Lou Anarumo thing, and it worked out pretty well for them. But I don't know. They, they kind of set a tone, really, with running him uh, on that first drive there, and then they run him for a touchdown, and it just – it worked out really well at certain points, but they also went away from it at times. And then they were having turnover issues and they were just getting stuffed on, you know, in other situations. And then you mentioned the quarterback draw stuff. I actually called it on that second touchdown run. They spread it out. I'm like, Oh, he's going quarterback draw here. And then he does. And then touchdown run. So I don't know. It was to the point where, you know, it's coming and they couldn't even stop it. So that was cool to see encouraging to see to your point that he looked uh, kind of almost as uh, spry and slippery as he was when he was 22, 23. So that was nice. Definitely did look spry, made a lot of guys miss, was setting up blocks well, all of that, a lot of fun to watch. So with that, I guess that kind of ends the mega culpa into the notebook, and now we wanted to do the Johnny Cake Beefcake of the Week. It is the Jumbo Set. It is the Big Boy Podcast. We love the big boys. We love the trenches. So on the Jumbo Set, we're going to shout out just something that we saw from a big boy throughout the week. To me, it was Michael Pierce and Travis Jones 
the absolute wrecking crew that those two are inside. Uh, Michael Pierce on the safety of Gardner Minshew, he had been they had been getting into some pass sets. Michael Pierce's bull rush, Travis Jones as well, just walking the pocket back, creating mayhem. I'll throw Jadevian Clowney into there too. Even those three guys, Michael Pierce, you could tell, and the result after the safety, the pure emotion he let out after knowing how much strength and rage he just put into his bull rush was incredible. It was outstanding to watch. I thought that was the beefcake, the Johnny Cake moment of the week. Shout out to those Johnny Cakes up there in uh, the greater Northeast. I know we're talking in a traditional sense of, like you you, you mentioned, the, the beefy boys, the beefcake boys, but I mean, I got to go with my guy, Kyle Hamilton. That's a big boy right there, and that's a guy with the, the wings. He's a big boy. He's getting big. He's got the wingspan of a pterodactyl. He's, you know, six foot four. He probably looks like he's like six foot eight in person from what we saw when we, uh, you know, saw him up close. Uh, and my God did him. And I, tw- I tweeted a picture, uh, a meme actually after it was probably after his second sack of like Bane versus the guy wearing the pink thing, like in the, like they're about to like go to battle and Kyle Hamilton was Bane and Gardner Minshew was the, uh, the pink thing. I don't know if that age great. Uh, but I mean, as far as that matchup goes, Hamilton was just absolutely, he looked like an outside linebacker coming off the edge and, you know, he was unblocked on these sacks, but like. When you're a safety and you get that, one kind of them of- he wasn't. One of them he was not, and he was clean through. I think it was Zach Moss, clean right through him, ripped right through, maintained his speed, and hunted down Minshew. Yeah, sure. And I think part of this maybe is Minshew's recognition not being great because I feel like when you get a free rush like that as a defensive back, like that's pretty. An alarm bell goes off for the QB, and they kind of just fired away. But my God, man, he got there. And if like, if you're t- if you're talking about a guy with like a smaller wingspan or a guy that doesn't have that type of reach. Maybe you're not talking about a uh, a sack or at least three sacks there because he just absolutely enveloped Minshew on three of those plays. And it wasn't just those. He had a tackle for a loss as well where he came screaming up to the line of scrimmage. You tweeted that he, nothing against his deep coverage, but it, that just feels like where his impact has been like Cam Chancellor-esque to a degree. And that's really what it looked like to me was Cam Chancellor. And then he also had that uh, pass breakup as well where Mike... <laughs> If he batted that thing up in the air and just housed it for a pick six, I think I would have like absolutely like my pants would have been off just right then and there. But it was uh it was an amazing performance and you know, he uh he he's my Johnny Cake beefcake of the week. Love it. He did look like an outside linebacker. He and we had John Harbaugh make comments. One thing we haven't touched on either, speaking of outside linebackers, briefly, Kyle Van Noy, Josina Anderson just tweeted again officially that Kyle Van Noy has signed with the Baltimore Ravens to go bolster their outside linebacker crew. We'll talk a little bit more about that, some other stuff at the very end. But uh, Hamilton, man, Harbaugh said, I think he was asked, are you planning on maybe moving him back into that nickel role? We haven't really seen him tested, and we did talk about, and and we saw it once towards the end of the game. Michael Pittman makes a, a huge catch. Maybe this should have been the mega culpa a bit, but uh, Michael Pittman makes a massive catch over Geno Stone. We haven't really seen Hamilton get tested at all over top, like once, haven't haven't at all. So it's hard to go say he's not making an impact because he clearly is to some degree, or he would be getting thrown at, would be blowing coverages, something like that. But when he's around the line of scrimmage. He is a superstar. Like that felt like a superstar performance. Not to mention, like you said, the screens that he blows up, his ability to go wrap around backside and go run a run play, play side down from behind and end it. We saw him do that. Two back to back plays runs a Zach Moss rush down from behind, clean, then goes and shoves a receiver through a screen and makes a tackle for a loss. So uh, not just on those sacks and maybe people, oh, he's unblocked and whatever. 
closing speed's crazy. Like you said, he's huge. He looks like an outside linebacker. So definitely worthy of being the, the Johnny Cake of the week there. I think Kyle Hamilton had an awesome game, and I'm excited to see what he can do. You have to have him in that role some games a lot and every game a little bit because, man, he is so electric when he's around the ball, around the line of scrimmage. So thought that was all good and fun. Uh, now for the smooth AF, I guess, play of the week or moment of the week. To me, it was just the Ravens opening drive. I'm going to give it to Todd Munkin and Lamar Jackson on the opening drive. The Ravens just methodically, again, smoothly, cleanly, just go walk down the field. There's not some crazy 65-yard play or anything like that. A couple nice runs. Lamar Jackson getting the ball out. Lamar goes, like I said, follows a quarterback bash and then just cruises into the end zone nice and smooth. So that, I think, was the smooth AF moment or play of the week for me. Make sure to go check out our sponsor, smooth as boop, F asterisk asterisk K, however you want it, smoothafproducts.com. Go check out their line of lavender CBD, shaving cream, shampoo, moisturizer. They do ours products, not his and hers, so they're not taking up a bunch of space. They leave you feeling smooth, smelling better, and just feeling outstanding. So go check out smoothafproducts.com. When a Baltimore master barber wanted to make and use the best shaving cream on his clients, he decided to make his own. Go check it out. Go support a local barber. Go support our podcast by getting yourself some Smooth AF products. Man, they are awesome. People ask me about my hair sometimes. You know, like, It's my barber. I have a nice haircut. I pay a lot of money for it. He's good at what he does. I use his products. My hair looks good. Smells good. Feels good. Play good. All that. Is that something you might be interested in? I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with my guy John Harbaugh on uh, not properly communicating to Zay Flowers, and this is my smooth brain play of the week by uh, by my guy John. <laughs> I don't know if that's totally in the spirit of the uh, of the, the the segment here, but no, it is. Oh, yeah, it is. It's a uh, smooth brain of the week goes to John Harbaugh for uh, you know it's just total lack of situational awareness, and I think he had the proper situational awareness, but somehow, some way, everybody missed that the clock gets reset doesn't communicate to Flowers that he needs to actually make a play with the ball in his hands, not do the fair catch. So it's just a fair catch with nobody within a country mile, 201 on the clock. Colts save 40 seconds out of that. And uh, that really, that was a catastrophic mistake in the game. So that's my smooth AF play of the week, and it goes to John Harbaugh's brain. I couldn't agree more. I think, and someone ripped into me on Twitter because I said I've never seen Justin Tucker miss a field goal short. And they go, oh, what about Jacksonville last year? Yeah, the 68-yarder in Jacksonville. Yeah, he missed, he missed the 68-yarder short. Sorry, I forgot about that one. I, I haven't seen Justin Tucker miss a reason, somewhat reasonable field goal short. Pardon me, correct me. I pay for Twitter blue. I'll edit it for you. But, Jake, you're a John Harbaugh historian. You're somewhat of a Baltimore football historian. I, I can't think of anything worse that he's done. No, I mean it was like, it was a sixty-one yard field goal. Like it, you know, it, it was tough. No, no, no. I'm I'm saying the Zay Flowers. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Miscommunication. I can't think of something worse that John Harbaugh has done in a game that we like know was pretty much his fault and his in his. Uh, everybody loves to rip him for being a special teams coach in his wheelhouse. If you're so inclined, I have not remember. I don't remember a blunder by John Harbaugh that was so egregious dude it's in terms of like management and things like that a, there must have been there maybe there's a challenge here or there or something i just can't remember there's definitely there's a lot of challenges and people like to get them on them about that but i mean like and i feel like a lot of those were pre the era where you had an analytics guy or a whoever guy in the booth to tell you challenge don't challenge that kind of thing 
So there, there are bad ones there, but like when this, challenging was a little more masculine and macho. The, and yeah, when, yeah, before the libs took over, uh, took over football, and uh, you know now we're you know, <laughs> shout out to Clay Travis for that awesome Travis Kelsey tweet. Um, but it, yeah, it's inexcusable. I mean, it's, it is inexcusable. He is a special teams guy. It's a dead ball foul. It is a free kick. I mean, and you're talking about a guy who took a safety at the end of a Super Bowl and has that minute kind of understanding of the rule book down to a T where he's able to, you know, make that amazing into decision the matrix a little in bit. the moment. See yeah. To the, the realm of outside the box possibilities. Yeah. And it's like, I don't want to overstate it necessarily, but I mean, this pretty much cost him the game. I mean, the Colts probably would have got the ball back with about, you know, maybe 60 seconds, under 60 seconds to go, but they'd be out of time. I think it would have been like, about, let, let's say, so they end up, the Ravens do end up getting a penalty on Nelson Aguilar. Yeah, sure. That could have still happened. Sure. They could have fumbled, maybe, whatever. The next time, in a let's say an average circumstance without a penalty or without a fumble or something, the Colts that the excuse me, that the Ravens would have needed that timeout that they didn't use. The Colts would have had the ball, by my calculation, right around 30 seconds left with no timeouts. Yeah. You don't need that fucking timeout. Yeah. You don't want to carry that one to the to the end of the game in the holster. Uh, yeah, and I always think... always burn all your timeouts. Never end a game with timeouts. That's that's my soapbox. Yeah, you're right. He should have just done it, no matter what the situation was. Just group everyone together, like get it, get a hold of the situation, take a lay of the land. It reminds me of this might be this might be one of the ones when they just like run Billy Cundiff out there and the clock is just running down and there's chaos everywhere. And then uh, I guess Cook fucked the snap or whoever was snapping it fucked the snap up. Maybe Considine or whoever it was at the time. Laces were in. Nobody talks about that. It wasn't really Cundiff's fault, 100%. I'll die on that hill. But they run him out there, and it is, the clock is ticking down. It's complete chaos. Take a timeout. Maybe they didn't have a timeout. I don't totally remember. But, like, you got to have control in that situation, and they didn't. So that's one that they I could think have, you could have, What was the field goal? 34 yards. 40, 34 yards. Could have taken a delay game. Yeah, sure. 39 yards. from the, Like, just, yeah. It's, it's one of those could things. Could have just, just slowed everything down regardless. Yeah. That's what John didn't do Sunday. Slow it down. And I, 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 the only saving grace I will say is that like, all right, you got the safety. You're down a bunch of guys. You felt the letdown coming and escaped it. That safety, it feels like game over. I thought the game was over at that point. Yeah. I was like ready to leave the stadium after the safety. I was like, all right, yep. They won. Let's go, mom. I was with my mom. Let's go. And they didn't. So I, I kind of get that part of like, oh, whatever, it's fine. It just wasn't, and I can feel that way, but you're the head coach of an NFL football team that's been in the league for almost two decades with this same team doing the same stuff like you mentioned. So you make a great point there about the the ability to be so creative or innovative on special teams and in those kind of late-game situations like in the Super Bowl or like those late-game holdings and things like that. And then just fucking botch something so basic is frustrating. I think Honestly, anyone in the world has an absolute right to be frustrated about that in that period of the refs resetting the clock and the Ravens not knowing what to do. Honestly, like I know Zay Flowers is a rookie and he's not used to a two minute warning, but also him like take a look at the clock real quick. Like let's have some awareness about the two minute sure. warning and like just catch the ball and run for two yards and get down. Like, it, you know, and, sure. and I think more people are to blame than just John there, but it is largely on his shoulders. Like you got to sure. be sure. And, and Hey, why, why isn't just Devin Duvernay just the guy always? Yeah. The all pro returner. Why is he not? To, they were expecting an onside kick. So you take the all pro returner that, I mean, Hey, maybe it was, Hey, we're going to fair catch this. Whoever was back there. Couldn't hear it. Something, something. Just let Devin Duvernay handle it. 
Yeah. Why does Zay Flowers have to be back there? Zay Flowers can't be on the hands team instead of Duvernay. I, I, I don't, I don't understand why Duvernay is not just back there anyway. So now we're, we we got pretty deep into that one, um, into every nook and cranny of it. But at the end of the day, John, like, come the hell, come the hell on, man. That that very well might have cost the Ravens a win. Dan Rees on Twitter, shout out our boy uh, DP Rees three maybe. Uh, I was like, I can't tell if you're being sarcastic when I was like, John Harbaugh just made the most egregious error he's ever made. He's like, I don't know if you're being sarcastic. I was like, I'm being dead serious. That was fucking terrible. Name me one. That was like, crazy bad. Think, really think on it. Like, name me one that's more egregious. Like, that's, it's pretty fucking bad. So, DM us, please. For the, I'm sure there's a couple things we're forgetting. That Actually, Johnny don't, don't do that. I'm sure there's going to be like thousands of like DMs now. Like, oh, everyone. You like, know, I want to see. I want to see. I want to know if there is something worse because I truly can't remember. I was like, the only thing that comes to mind is like the Patriots whooping his ass with those unbalanced lines and eligible receivers. And well, that actually, like well, that actually, that actually, uh, that be, he made that illegal after the fact, so he was vindicated because he complained to the league and they're like, "Oh yeah, you're actually kind of right. That's bullshit. We're going to make that illegal." Yeah. Now. So still got big league by Bill, so yeah. that'll he'll carry that one to his grave. That's this, why Bill doesn't care. And it's like you're, yeah, right. And like that, you're riding the wave with John. You're in the boat with Bill. Like Bill is just like you, Bill is the buoy. John is the. Uh, John is the the yacht in Wolf of Wall Street. You know we're gonna you know we'll le- we'll lose a couple plates. No, it's gonna be like super choppy, and you're riding the roller coaster. And sometimes you just want it to be a little bit more of a smooth experience. But no, you get games like this with him sometimes. It's choppy. You definitely do. You definitely do. So with that, I think uh, that probably wraps us up for the most part. Got into it pretty deep. We love doing these jumbo sets. There was there was the therapy. We're calling this jumbo set backdoor name. Ravens therapy sure because now I feel good I don't have to talk about it ever again I'm good to go now hopefully you guys feel the same way again if you're listening please go check out YouTube please subscribe if you can listen there conveniently as opposed to somewhere else we would love if you did as we're trying to build our YouTube up Uh, the Ravens will travel to play the number one defense in the NFL we'll break that all down on our Friday preview episode Jake and I will be switching in and out. You can check out Road Graders, Cole Jackson. We've been doing some Friday Q&As as well. We probably need to get some Q&A on the Jumbo set at some point. We used to do those a ton, and I feel like people like those. So all that good stuff. Appreciate you guys. Jakey, if you want to, if you have anything else to close us out with, go ahead. And if you want to get us out of here. Yep. So I am uh, off the grid this weekend. Uh, so this is my, uh, my last pod until probably next Jumbo set, I would say. So uh, everyone enjoy the game this weekend. I will actually be down in Ocean City for Ocean's Calling. So if you're there and you see me, come say what's up. Uh, you know, I had some nice interactions with people at Orioles games and stuff recently. So if you're down there and you want to have a, a drink ski while we enjoy some of the music, say hello. Uh, I'll love it. Got to figure out what my game watching situation is going to be. It runs through Sunday. So maybe I'll just kind of sit out the uh, the early afternoon stuff and watch the game, watch the Ryder Cup early in the morning. We'll see what happens. But yeah, thank you guys for listening. These have been super fun to do. Very Feeling very energized right now. feel like we're really building something. So it's been great. Uh, been a lot of fun. Uh, and you guys should check us out on social media. If you liked what you heard, you can find Spencer at Ravens for dummies. That is the number four. I am at Jake Luke. That is L O U Q U E at jumbo set podcast. You can shoot questions there and at X 52 podcast for the, uh, the big, uh, the big daddy of them all. Thank you. We guys do have settle all. up coming up as well. Yeah, we do. We the forgot because we already recorded the settle man. We did settle up with the settle man. Jack is going to hop in, give us some Thursday night picks. So if you're gambling inclined or if you just like Jack Settleman, which you, you probably should, we like him too. He's turning into a fast friend of ours. Stick around for a nice little 10, 15 minutes with him, talking some gambling, talking some Thursday night football. He's a true boots on the ground kind of correspondent. He's going to all these games, giving us some tailgating insight. It's a lot of fun. So stick around for that. And uh, we will see you guys later.
All right, we now welcome back our recurring Thursday night analyst, Thursday night haver of fun. Correspondent, I think. Correspondent probably works because he's actually going to the games. We do have we do have boots on the ground now. We welcome back for our settle up with Settleman segment. We got Jack Settleman of Snapback Sports of Underdog Fantasy. Jack, how you feeling, my friend? You had a, a pretty interesting game last week, a Thursday night experience. I kind of want the Thursday night analyst tag because then I know confidently I could be a better analyst than Al Michaels right now. So I think if I went with analysts, it's just like puts me in a whole new territory. Are you getting it's to great. are you getting to watch these games if you're going to all of them? Because I agree that the uh, the broadcast has been kind of a tough scene. No, that's actually the funniest part is last year. I guess they did a playoff game on Monday night because we went to the Monday night games. We didn't go to the playoff game. And that was the first time I ever heard Buck and Aikman on ESPN. And it was like a jarring experience. And so now when I just see on Twitter after the fact, people complaining about Al Michaels, I got to go back and like find the tweets and like hear his enthusiasm or lack thereof. But no, I, I never get to hear the Thursday night broadcast, which is okay. I never have to deal with any Amazon Prime streaming issues. Like when you're at the game, you have less issues. But San Fran Giants, it was a good time. San Fran, actually really beautiful out there. It was like 70 degrees, sunny. And because it's a West Coast game, the game starts at like 5.15. So you still get like sunset, that whole thing. I thought the vibes were going to be higher. Like Niners fans, are, they seem like good fans. And I always say, they have my favorite tailgating scene in the whole world. Like it's I saw tent- you post that a bunch. You were, you were very yeah. pleased with the food set up and everything. Oh, Looks my like the God. Bag- I was also the hoping you... Vibes were I was hoping you would elaborate on the vibes thing because I saw that and I was like, oh, okay. That's a little bit of a shot. Yeah, so I've been to Arrowhead tailgate. I've been to the Buffalo famous tailgate where they spray ketchup and they cook off tires and whatever the crazy stuff they do. But I genuinely think they have the best tailgating scene. It's like three or imagine just like one huge open lot and it's three or four long, long rows of tents and it's like DJ's. Mexican food. Everyone's got their own tacos going on the grill. Um, Those people, honestly, I think they might drink more than any other franchise besides Lambo, which is this Thursday. It's so funny. Have you have you guys ever been to Lambo? No, 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 I haven't. I've never been to San Francisco either, and that that's interesting you say that because they strike me as like a, a whining cheese kind of crowd, especially out there in well, Santa Clara. But like, we're, at the, we're at the NFL stadium is the thing, so that's where I feel like they can all. Get together. It's also Santa Clara. It's that's also Santa Clara. That's what I'm thinking. That's isn't it like difference. isn't it like tech bros like commuting down to Santa Clara and just like taking over? Maybe okay, fair enough. It, it that that's what you would find at the New Warriors Arena. The okay. Warriors Arena. I went to a finals game. That was the funniest thing in the world. Like the new stadium is literally just for tech bros. Like everyone's in a vest and a and a button down. But but Santa Clara is more like the that that crew. But Lambo is so funny because there is legitimately nothing to do, obviously, in Green Bay. So all people do is drink beer. Like that is the entire theme of the of the trip is you go there, drink a bunch of beer, you eat some cheese curds, and you watch football. Like that's the home of football, in my opinion. So yes, yeah, Milwaukee. Milwaukee is notoriously, the, I think, the drunkest. They have the most yes. bars per capita and the highest rate of. Straight boozing, I think, in the nation, if I'm not mistaken. And I, th- I think Green Bay people get upset that Milwaukee gets credit for that because they're like, no, we drink way more. I think they like call 
Milwaukee people wimps for how much they drink. Like that's how much Green Bay claims they drink. But the game, the game on Thursday, it was so funny. Everyone's like, oh, it, it was competitive till the third quarter. Like, no, it wasn't. The score was close, but like the Giants, it it blows my mind that you can like almost not even compete in a game in 2023. Like you can't even try there was just nothing happening for them they got dominated party didn't even look good in the first half so there was an opportunity but that giants team isn't very good but good time i really thought we were going to hit the mccaffrey unders like they they did not need to use him and then they gave him like four carries in the fourth when they could have easily used elijah mitchell so i was a little salty about that but the rest of it made sense. When you came on here last week, your biggest, most confident point was the Giants team total under, which did hit. Of course. Of course. Of course. So we still have that. We're 1-0 on the show on our official official picks. Um, What do I do this week, though? Because I did say I like taking, like, the crappy team's team total under in primetime, which unders are, like, 9-2 and in primetime this year right now. So it's been a good formula. But now you've got the Lions as one and a half point favorites. What do you guys think about that? I'm actually curious your your point of view. So I haven't gotten to see a ton of the Packers yet so far this year, but I anticipated them being a sneaky wild card type team. I, from what I saw, uh, they've been able to stabilize their offensive line. Rasheed Walker from Penn State, seventh round pick last year, a guy I was super high on, saw he hasn't given up a pressure so far this year. I feel like Jordan Love has just been, every time I see him in space, able to push the ball downfield. They haven't even had Christian Watson. Aaron Jones has been banged up. Uh, Rashawn Gary, I believe, has some sort of light injury that he's been playing through, but still has, a, I think, four sacks, PFF said. They don't do half sacks, which I like. It's it's either a sack or it's not. I agree with that. But he has four sacks on 45 pass rushes. Um, obviously, they were able to, to go – shut down Jameis Winston after he came in and go get that W. So I think there's something confident. Plus, it's a divisional game, so that really on top of it throws in the variability, I think. So usually when there's a divisional game, I, if there's a heavy favorite, I might tend to favor you know the, the underdog there. But this one's, I mean, I guess the Lions would be favored at Ford Field by probably three and a half or four, somewhere around there. So um, tough, tough on that one. Ah. I don't know. I, I might be looking to to maybe see what Josh Reynolds lines are. I haven't taken a look at it yet, but that's probably the one direction I'm looking right now. But I feel like Vegas is probably going to start correcting those and he might be due for a, a little low, low one there. Yeah, this one is super tricky because normally like Jones and Watson would play Sunday and then they'd be obvious sits, right? The turnaround's too short, but they didn't play. So maybe they are a go on Thursday. I don't know yet. I, I don't know the vibe. I do think because they won that game in a huge comeback way that maybe they feel like they could get away with two and two or maybe they could you know even steal a win without those guys because they just won a game without them. If they were one and two, I feel like those guys would definitely be playing. Jake, what do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. Like Jordan Love, I think, has been an interesting kind of fun watch. He almost looks a little bit like Aaron Rodgers, and I th- it feels like he's kind of doing it on purpose. Like if you ever watch yeah. Charlie Woods like play golf, he it kind of looks like he's trying to do stuff like Tiger Woods stuff on purpose. And it's kind of cool. Like it's aesthetically really fun. I did say this after they beat the Bears in week one. It felt a little smoke and mirrors and kind of fugazi to me. Like there was kind of some catch and run stuff there with Jones. Like he threw for three touchdowns, but he had a long catch and run from Jones. Not a lot of sustained drives. It was like off of turnovers and things like that. But he looked okay. He looks fine to me up against the Lions defense, especially like their offensive line with the Packers 
it's kind of weird right now. I feel like David Bakhtiari is like intentionally sitting out games or whatever the hell's going on there. He doesn't want to play on turf. Okay, that's fine. Whatever. This is in Lambeau. So I don't know. Hopefully they get back to full strength. But this Lions front uh, with the kid from Michigan and all, all these guys that are uh, that are stepping up and playing pretty well, playing pretty hard for Dan Campbell. I mean, I don't know. It's something where I look at the Lions being favored on the road anywhere, and maybe it's just helmet scouting, but it makes me feel weird. So I'd probably, uh, I think I'd just take the Packers straight up here. Yeah, it's tough to tough to go against that. I will say the Packers were in a weird state of mind last year when they uh, when we were there. It was they played the Rams and Baker was the quarterback, and then obviously they lost the same Lions team. I didn't see the home field advantage that you would anticipate at Lambeau, like some crazy raucous crowd. They're diehards, like don't get that twisted. But nothing that I think like the Lions are super fearful of. And after last year's win. You know, I think they prove that it does just feel like a, a true coin flip. So going with the underdogs, probably not the worst thing. I will say my one piece on love is I think he's good. I really do think he's like good, but I don't think he's like, you know, two and a half touchdowns a game. Good, which is what he's averaging through the first three. Like some of those things, you know, Aaron Jones ran a, a Texas route and scored a six. And what I have right. seen is that a pair from from a couple of the guys that do the data visualizations. The first read is getting the ball, and with separation, I think at the first or second highest clip for the Packers. In other words, LaFleur is doing a good job scheming guys open and loves getting them the ball when he does. So that's a lot of it, and and that's what good like people want to talk poorly about Tua. You have to make the right decision still, put the ball on accurately, all those things. So I think it, it, Brock Purdy we just talked about a little bit. Yeah. Scheme guys open, quarterback has to play point guard still, get them the football. I think Jordan Love looks like a point guard right now. You guys tell me, because I think this is the missing missing quote or missing question for me. Is the Lions defense good? Because last year, I, I think people forgot they were literally the worst defense in football. And historically then, bad rush defense. Like they could not stop me and you out there. Like if we if we schemed it up the right way. And then because Dan Campbell, like his personality, people just assume that they're a good defense. And now through the first three weeks, it's like they limited Mahomes. He obviously didn't have Kelsey or, you know, his weapons were terrible. And then, like, they they let up 80 points in the Dome to Seattle. And then they come back this week and, like, made Desmond Ritter look bad. I think I could probably play defense on the opposite side of Desmond Ritter. So it's like, what do we even know right now? So what do you guys think? Is the Lions defense good or is it bad? I will say the Lions defense is not bad. I think that Brian Branch, from what I've seen, has come in and been a line of scrimmage slot nickel impact player against the run specifically, able to make plays underneath. Aiden Hutchinson is going to give you that high motor, like 80% of TJ Watt kind of guy. That's what I've always thought about him. Uh, they have Big Ali McNeil in the middle, who was another guy I was huge on coming out of NC State. Absolute freak at nose tackle. Um, he he's stepping into a full-time role now in year two. So I think they, we saw them. They just played the Falcons who obviously can run the football. Arthur Smith, yeah. one of the best run game minds in the league and we're able to thwart it. So I don't know if they're a good defense. I uh, would be remiss to, to pretend like I've been watching their DBs and what they're doing on the back end, but I think they're not a bad, let alone a historically bad defense. Jake. Yeah. It's like, I just feel like they're kind of young and they're growing together. Like you've got a, a cornerstone player at pretty much every level. You mentioned Branch, you got Hutchinson up front, you got Jack Campbell. Now they're plugging into the middle and you're going to make mistakes and it's the NFL. And when you have a receiving core like the Seahawks, I don't think they had Smith and Jigba out there, but they've still got plenty of dudes. 
it's going to be tough to really sustain yourself, especially after coming off a really emotional win like they had uh, in Kansas City. And, that you know, it's just there, there's some weird stuff that can happen after games like that. But I don't know. Aaron Glenn's still there. Like, he's going to coach guys up. He's had a really good start to his career as a defensive coordinator. So I think not as bad as we saw recently and probably not as good as we saw against Kansas City, but I think they'll settle in. I think they're uh, – I'll say they're good, not very good. Okay. All right. Then I'm going to give – the official pick, I'm going to say uh, no game picks for me until until Thursday. I got to be on the ground, boots on the ground, feel the vibes. Like, okay. you know, you start, ha- you start having a couple beers with the Lambeau faithful and that plus money, you know, is looking better. But I will say the one pick I'm going to ride is Jared Goff to not throw an interception. He's thrown a pick in back-to-back games before that. He didn't throw an interception for like 10 consecutive games. I think he'll protect the ball better in a divisional matchup in prime time, a stadium that he's pretty comfortable with. And I don't think the Packers defense necessarily is going to create a ton of havoc. Like they're a solid unit, but you know, you don't really need to throw it Jair. You can throw the other way and, and end up all right. So Jared Goff will not throw an interception on Thursday night. That's my bet of the day. As I was, I love it. Lock it in Jared Goff under interceptions from the subtle man himself. I'm looking, I was toying around here as we're talking at what I ended up thumb tapping into was Lions alt spread plus four and a half parlayed with Sam Laporta, 25 plus receiving yards parlayed with Jared Goff, 225 plus passing yards. That was plus 138. That's my kind of parlay. It's very, very. You've been playing those and and they're, they're looking good. Like I have no problem with a plus 130. The only, I prefer especially on a team like the Lions where you know the volume for the big guys is going to be there, right? Like Amon Ra and Laporta because outside of Reynolds, like Raymond, like it's just random dudes. The only thing that makes me nervous is like the plus four and a half. Like, I don't know. I If you think the, if you think the Lions are going to win, do you think they're going to lose close? I guess divisional game, they obviously could, but I don't I know. I think it'll come. I think if the Lions lose, my logic was if the Lions lose, it's on the final possession and they'll need to score a touchdown down four. So I, I bought myself <laughs> a little bit there. That was, I think, plus, or excuse me, minus 285, if I'm not mistaken. Minus okay. 250 on FanDuel currently. I've been absolutely raking on quarterback rushing overs. Jordan Love's been running it a little bit. I got him 16 and a half yards. That's minus 120. If you're feeling frisky, I got an alternate at plus 180 for 25 plus yards. I, I'm probably going to. No Jared Goff? No, like I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing. Seven yards? I'm not seeing. No, no, but I've been doing that. I've been guy, expecting guys that you wouldn't expect to run. I've just been kind of sprinkling them into my parlays and getting a little value add there every single time. You would expect Jordan Love to run, but I don't know, 25 plus, plus 180. It's not the craziest thing in the world. If you bust off one or two, like for two first yeah. downs, like you're already in that territory. So I think that the, the best prop player that Vegas has a handle on is Baker Mayfield's rushing totals. I swear, play them every week, put a dollar on it just for fun. He's one of them that I've made money on. It's within a couple yards almost every time over the last couple of years. Something I always watch. He'll he'll bust out a 25-yard run occasionally, something like that, but he usually has like three six-yard scrambles or something like that, and it'll be like 15 and a half. It's, It's Vegas is on top of Baker Mayfield's rushing totals, so... That's a fun one to play every single week. If you just want something to giggle about, put a dollar on a Baker Mayfield rushing to. <laughs> so with that, I think that was uh settle up with Settleman. Again, Jack coming back for the second time here 
as we're going to be having him on the jumbo set every week. Give a little preview, little review. What was the Thursday night experience like last time? You can follow Snapback Sports on Snapchat. Go check it out. Snapback Sports on YouTube, on Twitter, everywhere, all over the place. Jack, tell people everything else you're working on, what you want people to do, and, and how they can support you. No, that's all love. Excited to, to be a recurring guest officially. Thanks, fellas. Thanks for coming on. We love it. All right. Thank you so much, Jack. And I guess that does it for this episode. We will see you guys later. See you. Arrivederci. Beautiful. Thanks, fellas. Yeah, of course. Appreciate you. Thank you, Jackie. Um, all right. We'll talk. Go Ravens. Beat the Browns. Watson's a pervert. All right. <laughs> you like that. Oh, like we're still recording. <laughs> now you covered you covered it all. You I'll covered it all. We'll leave that part in. Yeah. Well No, you gotta leave you gotta leave that part in. Okay. If you right, you want me to. Yeah. Uh Really, really hard, and they execute the system, and that's what it's all about. Yes, there sir. Trust. Big trust. Big trust. trust. Hey, yes, sir. <laughs> right on cue. Hey, right on cue. Hey, I, let me.